0: listening to Frankly Earnest. Hosted by Sam Christie. Co-host, Allison Hall. Special guest, Samantha Iglesias. This is a podcast made with Anchor by Spotify.
1: Hello and welcome again to Frankly Earnest. I'm uh, Sam Christie and oh. with me today is Allie Hall. Hello Allie.
0: Hello Sam Christie the host by the way everyone. <laughs>
1: and I'm... I think of you as the host. No the host. no and
0: um, I'm Allie the co-host. I'm his co-host. There we
1: go. There, well that's fine. You know I feel like I wrestle with this, this every time we come on board.
0: Why? Why do you feel like you wrestle?
1: Oh, 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 which way to say it, that's, oh, that's all, okay. it, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter, well, it, it's great, for... it's great to be back,
0: <laughs> for reference, this is, it's... anyway, okay, I'll cut that,
1: you know, every time we don't talk for a few days, I, um, I, I start to feel like it's been forever,
0: I know, um, I know,
1: almost like this podcast is its own little world, and, and, yes. um, and, of course, for the moment, you know, like, while we're doing it, and, while people are listening like here we are we're here together in this we are here in this moment and um, I, I love creating these I'm not sure how how it happens but um, <laughs> but let's do another one here we go
0: yes everyone so Ali Ali does the editing and all that kind of stuff Sam this cool. is this is what Sam does he comes here and he talks to you guys <laughs> but that's really honest to God I swear the most important part I really honest to fucking God swear. Because it like and we talked about this. This is a, a great segue because we were talking about this this morning. Um, sorry for the repetition there. I said this, this, everyone. No, that's <laughs> um, all right. that's all right. we were talking about it this morning. We were saying how it's just crazy. Like the, everything to do with this. It's wait. Okay, cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Okay. Okay. We okay. were talking. We were talking... uh, We'll segue. So, it's a great... It really is a great segue, because we were talking about it this morning, about how we make this, and how it all comes together, and just having a talk about um, mental health and all that.
1: We were... um, So, I remember um, speaking about... um, Well, about talking, about sharing these stories, and about... um, about the whole mental health process because I had gotten a message from um, uh, someone, um, a, a listener yep. uh, who messaged me on TikTok and and was sharing that um, just by listening to me telling my stories about my dad, she was able in therapy to, um, to find um, her own words to describe her, her fears that she had with her dad. And um, she was saying that, that prior to to watching my TikToks and listening to the to the podcast, that she um, she would always tell her therapist, "Oh, I'm fine. It, you know, it, it, you know, nothing really bad happened, and um, you know, normal childhood, and let's move on with therapy." And now she's like, "Wait a second, I have some things to talk about." Yeah. And um, so she's thanking me for for doing this, and it feels um, it's so so powerful. Sorry, I'm getting some ice out of the fridge. Um, <laughs> it's I have to put an ice cube on my orchids. Um, just, I just set an ice cube in there and let it melt
0: on your I what?
1: Orchids. Your orchids. orchids. Oh. I bought a couple of orchids and they're on my my uh, I uh, Bought them a couple years ago and I've kept them alive. The, they blossom and the flowers fall off, but they'll grow again. You know, so, if you ever buy one of those little orchids, you know, even when the flowers all fall, just keep it alive and keep going. And it'll, uh, I repotted these two so they have more room. And now they're growing new leaves. And I have a new branch that just came out. And right now it's got um, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six new little buds about to burst out into beautiful orchids. I, and I, I, just, I just love it. My grandmother was really into flowers. And so I enjoy now you know yeah. having having a little little color and so with, you with put greenery.
0: you put an ice cube on it what
1: yeah i read somewhere that you uh if you set an ice cube in and just let it melt slowly um you know because the um the soil that you put these things in it's um the mix that they sell has a lot of wood
0: okay okay
1: stuff to decay yes it doesn't it doesn't hold a lot of water it's not like dirt just all dirt okay potting soil it's um, a lot of chunks of bark and um, you know,
0: mm-hmm, stuff that will mm-hmm.
1: kind of decay and rot in there, I guess. I don't know. But if you pour water in, the water just runs right through and dumps out. If you put an ice cube in, then it just it melts slowly in there, and the plant has time to pull it in.
0: Wow. They, they,
1: don't, they don't need a lot of water. And they also um, wow. flower better. If they can have a temperature shift, that will trigger them to flower. So I set them near the window so that at night – if it's cold out, the plants will get cold and then when the sun hits them in the morning they'll warm up quickly and that big temperature change kind of triggers like a, a spring response from them and that, that causes them to flower.
0: Oh my one god.
1: Them, yeah. Wow. One of them's done it and the other one I'm still waiting for it to, to sprout. But. Um.
0: <laughs> wow, green thumb hacks. No, we love that. I mean, not really. Yes, really. Know,
1: but I'm trying to learn. <laughs>
0: I think and, I just uh, came up with our um, name for this little sidebar episode. I think I'm going to call it uh, new branches, comma, new buds.
1: Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. And yeah. that really, really fits with what I was hoping to lead into, you know, yeah. which is just this whole mental health journey. Yeah. This lady who wrote me to, uh, today about what she was able to share with her therapist mm-hmm. made me think about when I was in therapy and I struggled to, um, to uh, recognize what I had been through yeah. I was in therapy for a couple of years saying no no it's fine I, I have these PTSD symptoms I guess but you know my dad was a good dad and and I don't really suffer you know and and I'd have to have therapist after therapist say yeah but you're here yeah and <laughs> And you don't sleep at night and you're on Lex Pro and Saraquel and yeah. you know maybe are you well you know angry about what happened with your dad maybe there's some fear there you know they, they try to get me to open up about it it just took me so long to to recognize it. it's such it was such a journey you know yeah Um and I so did. she really um, yeah. she really helped me to um, to remember that remember that I I haven't always been here doing a podcast and speaking freely about what That's happened. That's um, very true. I spent years struggling to try to understand how other people see me, um, how other people might see the whole story from the outside, and that helps me to see it. Um, yeah. You know, to see myself in it. You know.
0: Now, what... when you're,
1: it's hard to see yourself.
0: Uh, yeah that's very true it's so hard to see yourself you know and in fact i always think about and it makes me have like an existential crisis is that you'll never even like physically really see yourself you Uh, know like it's so meta to think about that like the only way you'll be able to see yourself is through other people's eyes and cameras in life. so it's it's just
1: oh my god i don't know that's that's kind of wild yeah you know so it's, it makes it even
0: harder that like physically you can never, ever see yourself. So you're like, what am I? It puts so much pressure for you to oh, think yeah. about what am I in other people's eyes? How did that camera capture me? I get That's it. So I get true. where it comes from, you know, especially yeah. for women. But now I'm curious. So what was your experience like going to therapy first? Like when did you first start going to therapy? oh
1: How well, did you find um, a
0: therapist?
1: yeah 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 so let's see I um I went to a um <laughs> you know when when I start to I don't want to back up too much and try to include too much but um but just briefly it, it's you know early uh, 2000s 2000 or mid 2005 2006 and um and I was a uh leader in church, and my wife was too, and we had uh, four little little kids, kind of the model family, uh, but I was kind of falling apart, and I had been for a few years, I was, um, I, I was never really into drugs or drinking, but I did get into um, behavioral addiction, I was seeking out uh, sexual connections with other people, and I was having an affair with a woman from church, and then then my dad died, and I was feeling suicidal. Um, and I, um, but I didn't want to go to a therapist. Um, I had been to Christian therapists, but I felt like the world's therapists—that those folks were, you know, just not going to lead me the right way. I wasn't uh, ready to see anything in the world outside of the lens of Jesus and church and everything I'd grown up with. So I went, I decided I was a sex addict and I went to a sexual addiction treatment center in Missouri. It's a place called gentle path led by Patrick Carnes. He's a big name in in sexual addiction uh, research and you know, one of the, one of the pioneers of really being interested in figuring out, what what it means to be addicted sexually, and so I, or to sex, or to sexuality, and I went to this place and I had a nervous breakdown there. Um, they have, they of course focus on you know, or I shouldn't say of course, but they really focus on shame and childhood shame and childhood trauma, um, and for any addiction, but especially for this one. And so I was there. Opening up my childhood trauma to them, and it, it's like more. It was deeper and more severe than what they're used to dealing with there. And I ended up having a real serious breakdown, and I, I was um, having night terrors and wake. I, you know, I think I, I don't know if I did. I tell the story where I woke up screaming in the bed with. So I, uh, so I had a little bit of a mental breakdown there. I was writing out these uh, childhood histories alone in a room and then turning them in. And nobody was talking to me about it because no one was quite yet aware of the stuff that I was writing down in these reports. So I'm just in the social scene with the other, the other sex addicts and we're doing our morning affirmations. We're eating meals together, but I spent all my daytime time alone in a room writing down, answering questions about, you know, did your, your father hit you? Did your mom hit you? Did your, Mom or dad used drugs, what kind of did, what kind of things did they say to you? And I'm filling out essay questions and filling out the back pages of all the the blank sides of all the, the question pages. And I um I went to bed one night and I I guess, you know, I thought I don't know if I thought I was dreaming, I was just having this experience where there was this really bright light and I could hear this ear piercing noise. And I slowly came to realize it was screaming. It was somebody screaming. And and then I felt the, the, the pain in my fingernails. And I realized that I was clutching the sheet and the pad into a wad underneath me with my fingers. And it was hurting my fingernails. My and that's when I realized the light was someone in the door of my room with a flashlight shining at me. And I was on my hands and knees, on my bed, and I was the source of the screaming. Yeah. And I stopped, of course, and then the nurse explained that, you know, every night we come around and open the doors and do a check to see if you're still in here, you know, because you're an untrustworthy sex addict who might be out there getting your fix we got to make sure you're in your room yeah and I'm like okay cool well I wish you guys had told me that that happens but now I know and now I can relax and tomorrow night I'll be ready what he didn't tell me is that they make a second trip around around 2 a.m and when that happened my body was out of the bed and and I was I had slammed the door on the nurse's arm with the flashlight in his hand So like I'm just I wake up pushing the door closed and this guy's hand is sticking through with a flashlight in it. And I'm Ah. like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Ah. And at that point, that day, they said, Hey, we let's talk to the psychiatrist on duty. And he he met with me in the morning and he said, I want you to just go about your daily activity. Don't fill out any more of these these history reports. I'm gonna read your stuff. So he spent the whole day reading my stuff. And then he sat with me the whole next day and talked with me, and that was my first time really spending some time with a psychiatrist. I mean, I was in his office for like five, six hours that next day, and and of course, you know, he's um, you know, struggled. he's trying to help me understand the context of, of what I'm sharing, what I've been through. And um, he told me, Sam, guys that have people that have your kind of childhood history, when I see them, when I see this kind of childhood history with these kind of events, generally that particular patient, I'm going to have to go see them at the institution where they keep them. And probably when I go to their room, they're likely going to be strapped down to a table for their own safety and sedated for their own safety and comfort
0: sedated oh my god yeah, and it was strapped kind of shocking. strapped to it the bed
1: to to hear that because i thought well yeah i've been through a lot of stuff um but i you know never felt like i never felt like i couldn't i did it was hard to go get a job it was hard to meet uh interact with people socially like i feel you know i've always felt uncomfortable i would go out to when i was in my 20s early 20s i would go out to a dance club or a bar and i didn't feel comfortable i wasn't having a good time i was feeling a lot i realize now a ton of anxiety i didn't know how to talk to anybody i didn't know how to um really even how to flirt with people, how to interact with people. I didn't know how to feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, but I, I learned the two step and, and, uh, country waltz and, uh, all the line dances. And I used to go in my early twenties and I would dance with these, these women in their thirties and their forties. And it was, I felt, um, like a sense of accomplishment that I had gone there and done it and I had passed as normal. And, you know, that was, that was my joy was look at me. I'm out here and I look normal I yeah. do not feel normal. And so I was kind of, I'm listening to him telling me, you know, like with your history, you know, you should be in an institution uh, restrained and sedated. And I'm thinking, shit, shit. Like that's what I've been through. Like wow. really? Oh my God. It was a tough pill. He tried to give me a lot of tough pills that day. And, and he also, ultimately decided to take me out of the sexual addiction treatment program. And, and, and he, um, he didn't want to diagnose me. Um, but he, he said, if I was going to diagnose you, I would diagnose you with uh, borderline personality disorder with, um, identity issues specifically, um, or primarily and PTSD with autistic fantasy. He wanted to describe the way that I would, um, just go into daydreams or, Totally tune out, like I go into a like a fugue state. Except I don't really often lose time. What yeah. I do instead is I go into a fantasy daydream, and and then I haven't been here. I haven't been paying attention. You know, yeah. Like yesterday, I was working with my friend, and he's um, explaining to me um, his ideas for a smokehouse that he wants to build, so we can smoke some meat, and. And he's there describing, you know, the number of shelves or the arrangement of them. And I started remembering something that my dad said, and I was back there in my head, like fully. And I didn't hear anything that my friend said. I'm standing there with him, and, it, you know, he's talking. And then all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, where'd you go, man? So he can see that I'm just, like, not there at all. Yeah. Uh, and I missed everything he said. I, I, I think I, I had heard him say the word shelf and that's all I could recall. Uh, yeah. So, so I do that. Right. And this, there, and this psychiatrist or this, this doctor, uh, Dr. Smith, he was a psychiatrist and he, um he's saying this to me like, like um, this is how, this is what he sees for me. He wouldn't, but he's like, I don't really want to diagnose you. And, and he said, I think what you really need to do is you need to talk. You need to do a lot of talking and tell all these stories you need to tell what happened to you to a therapist and that'll be how you heal you'll put together your whole life into one cohesive narrative and you'll see it all as as your life Um, and and I ended up going to therapy after that but um, I'm skipping around in time a little bit but um, But I what I found with most of the therapists I went to is um, they were really nervous about me unpacking all of these trauma memories without like kind of a safe container to hold them in. You you maybe have heard this kind of thing before. Um, They wanted to make sure that my diet was right and that my exercise was right. And that I was, you know, and I wasn't doing any of those diet exercise. Oh, my God. Um, They wanted to they wanted to address, you know, substance issues, you know, cigarettes and coffee and, you know, stuff and drinking I was doing. Um, And, you know, oh, my God. Back then I was trying stuff anyway, but they all all those therapists kind of shied away, you know, I'd start to tell a story and start to react emotionally to what I was, what I was telling about my dad and, and they would want to derail me and like, Oh, let's calm down now. Let's breathe. You know, cause we've got to get the whole thing done inside of an hour. And I, I found that to be really dissatisfactory, but I learned that I needed to, I think I needed to break up with a therapist and move on and try another one. I needed to try a few. And, um, and that process helped me to find someone to work with that would help me through the next steps, you know? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I found that I didn't have to be upset with a therapist for not being not giving me what I needed. I needed to be able to say, here's what I need. And, and some therapists are going to be good for certain stages. Uh, I had one, one fella who was terrific and he, he helped me to, um, he helped me to, Stop Being So Paranoid. He helped me to dial down my my paranoid um, musings about what might be motivating other people. And he would keep repeating over and over again to me this phrase that I still use. It's one of my most important interpersonal and mental health tools. He would say, Sam, what if we just assume that everybody is doing the best that they can right now? And also, everybody could do better. And with those two things in mind, I want you to make the most benign assumptions possible. When you need to make an assumption about where somebody's coming from, just make the benign one. And it didn't feel natural. Because inside my head, I'm screaming like, oh, this person is my enemy. They're part of a, a group of people that wants to destroy me. And, and you know, like just crazy paranoid stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and I had to start practicing assuming things like maybe when that person said that, it was more about them. And maybe they're not part of some um, evil organization that is obsessed with hurting my feelings. And the more I started to like try those assumptions out, the more they started to feel possibly true. And you know, I'm at a point now where I, I tell this and it's you know, my old ideas sound crazy, the the place my head was at, you know, to me now, because I, I know now, I feel pretty confident that when people are talking, they're telling you about themselves, their own reactions, their own feelings. even if they're telling me about me. Yeah. They are revealing their reaction to me
0: yeah. and it
1: doesn't define me, yeah. but it's, it's been, you know, a long road to get here. And I, you know, I still always go back to Dr. Smith and that stuff that he told me that day, um, you know, that, uh, he was just so impressed that I had gotten married and had kids and held down a job and bought a house and you know he's like like, how did you do all these things well you know the kids in the house and and uh you know all that um i had help with that i had a wife to (laughs) help make all that happen you know and and then working i i like working working with my hands uh i don't really like the hard parts of it i don't like having to be there so i hate work too but But the nice thing about um, working with my hands and keeping busy all these years is um, if I can focus on a physical project in front of me, I'm not worried about how I feel or trying to, to dig up and deal with memories. I didn't have to answer the questions about my dad or about myself if I could just focus on building a deck or remodeling a bathroom, you know. And that, and that's how I coped, you know. So, it. So, in a, in a way, maybe all those therapists that were nervous about me and wanted me to take my time, they were helpful too, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, one thing Doctor Smith said to me that um, uh, that was really a, a, a pill I wasn't ready to swallow. We were sitting there in his office that day after my breakdown at the sexual addiction treatment place, and and he says to me. Do you um do you think your dad killed your mom? And I said, Oh no, no, it was an accident, you know. I my dad loved my mom and he would have never killed her. And, you know, yeah, he was a bad person. You know, or he did all these bad things, but that's just because he was so angry and hurt, and you know, but he wouldn't have done that to my mom. And I, I know it's an accident. I know the story, you know. And and he took all that in and he said, he just looked at me and he said, I think you should really seriously consider the possibility that your dad murdered your mom. And this is in 2006. And I was not ready (laughs) to, to hear him at all, you know, but of course um, as years went by, I kept coming back to that thought, and as I was able to tell more more of my stories, not knowing where it was all going, but just I've become freer over the years with telling stories and then remembering new things, and then the pieces all start to kind of fit together a little bit better. I feel like I have a better understanding that's grown over the years, and from that, it's easier to see now, oh yeah, he, he probably did kill her, and you know, in fact, I'm quite certain that he did. Um, but Dr. Smith, you know, like he could see that just from, just from reading and talking with me a little bit, he could kind of put it together, but I, you know, I was too close to it all and I couldn't see my dad as, you know, a stereotypical abuser. Um, and, and he could, because he was, he was distanced from it. Um. And I, and I got mad at therapists. I was mad at him that day. And the next one I had, I, I ended up getting in a fight with her in her office. I felt like it was her fault. Not a physical fight, but we definitely argued. And, um, and I, I broke up with her over that. And she's the evil therapist. And I look back now, and I don't really feel like she was evil or bad. I just feel like, huh she did stuff that upset me and i made the decision to quit going to her and find a new counselor and all of that is okay it's okay to do that it's and very okay. through the process yeah you know
0: yeah like we can i feel like it's so easy for us to
1: shut down our own feelings um, or to think well i you know i don't want to have anger or fear or shame and so we run from we run from seeing that or feeling feeling our own feelings. And I think that, you know, in fact we really it's better for us. We have to I think we have to recognize our feelings. If we have anger or fear or shame, those dark emotions that those need our attention. Yes. You know?
0: You know, I always say it's okay to not be okay and like remember the it's okay to not be okay and recognize that because mm-hmm. that's how you become okay. That's how you get right. there. That's, that's what right. my therapist used to tell me. What, uh, what, what advice do you have for like that hard sticking up for yourself in that moment when it's like, okay, so for somebody like, you know, I think you and I maybe share that, like, it's hard to stick up for ourselves kind of. So in breaking up with a therapist, that's that same fear of like, ah, ah, how do I, how do I be (laughs) assertive and, and say what I want? And, you know, what do you, what do you have to say for that?
1: First, I want to say that I feel this incredible irony that anyone would ever ask me for advice about standing up for yourself, because I feel like (laughs) I have been the slowest Person in the history of the world to do that. That's how I feel. Like, like I feel like everybody would look at my story and think, "Dude, how could you possibly? How could it have taken you so long?" And I, and that's not really. I. Some people react that way, I suppose, but it's not really. Uh, I was being unfairly critical uh, of myself. It, it takes. It takes time. It takes time to get there, and it's a lot. You know, before I broke up with that therapist. I came home and talked to people about my frustration, you know, over and over again. And I felt it and felt like, oh, this is not working for me. And I really, you know, but I still just kept going back. Even I'll tell you what happened that day with that therapist. I went in, I'd had a fight with my my wife. We were separated at the time, living in, in houses next door to each other but we were in counseling and we were going to work through things, but I was also seeing my individual counselor and we, uh, had a fight with my wife that week and I wanted to talk about it in counseling. So I start telling the story to her of what happens and she interrupts me in the middle of the story. And, and it was, I, I don't want to tell the whole story. It was just, um, uh, she, the wife had called me and said, Hey, I'm not feeling good this today. Um, you know, can you help me with, you know, can you take the kids off my, off my hands for a little bit? And she was being really sensitive because I was going through a tough time and I would get overwhelmed, but, but I could, you know, I could, I could grit my teeth and, and, um, and get through the anxiety, but usually like two or three hours with the kids and I would start getting so triggered. I needed another adult there. Cause I would go into kind of an anxiety trap and I, I, I was worried that I would uh, dissociate and not be not be the parent I needed to be, and they they were fine. Like my kids weren't in danger, but I felt like I need to to be here. And if I if I tune out when I'm supposed to be driving them somewhere, or I'm not able to protect them, or you know, I had like serious anxiety about it. But um, so she and I were working out kind of timing on that. But she calls me this morning, this one morning, and says, "Can you?" Can you come and you know grab them and you know give me a few hours just to just to rest because I'm not feeling good and and I said sure sure do you want me to come over now and and she said well no I don't want to mess up your day what were you going to do and I said well I had to run and you know do a couple of errands today I was going to run by the bank and and run by the store and she said well just go run your errands and then talk to me afterwards and so I go out to run my errands and I'm driving through town and this is like. Uh, two hours after I've talked to her on the phone, I'm driving through town and I start having a serious panic attack. And I'm I'm feeling that dread of what happened. How deep is this? What happens if I can't drive my vehicle? What happens if I, you know, so I pull over and get out of my truck and there's a little, a little shop there, a little, a little restaurant slash bar. And, um, and so I grabbed my journal and I went inside and ordered a sandwich and a coffee. And I sat down and I opened up my journal. I started writing about, Feelings and my thoughts, and I ended up writing quite a bit about my marriage and how I really wanted to work on it. And you know, I was really eager to come share, share this stuff with my ex or with my estranged wife. Um, and she calls me right then, and and she's like, "Where where are you?" And keep in mind, it's been like two three hours since I talked to her at like nine a.m. So we're getting close to noon. She's like, "Where are you?" And I said, "Oh, I, well, I was running my errands, and I'm I'm having a sandwich right now and writing in my journal." And and she was so upset. She's like, you're just out there, just, you know, goofing off, and I needed you to come help me. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm feeling better now. I've written in my journal. I'll, I'll come now. And she's like, never mind, never mind. Just stay away. Everything's fine. And so I didn't go. But we talked about it in counseling. And and then I show up there for my individual counselor. And I want to talk to her about this. i you know, and she said, the first thing she says to me, I say, my, my wife and I had a fight and she said, well, mercury's rising or mercury's in retrograde as if that's all we need to talk about with that. And I'm like, no, no, I really want to talk about what happened. And I get into the story with her and she gets so mad and she starts lecturing me about how, when you're married and your wife is sick, you don't wait for her to ask. You cook her breakfast, you take those kids on a field trip, you do the laundry for her, you do everything. That's what a real man does. And she stands oh. up and starts pointing her finger at me and telling me how I'm not a real man. I'm oh. just a little boy, a little spoiled boy oh. who isn't prepared to be a husband and oh. you know, wants his wife to do everything and I'm I'm looking at her oh. and and feeling a little alarmed, but I immediately remembered to her credit, the thing that she had been teaching me in counseling, which is everything that everybody says is about them. And so I'm watching her and I'm thinking, this is not what counselors usually do. They don't usually stand up and point their finger at you and raise their voice and tell you you're not a real man. Um, and so I thought, well, this is about her. This has triggered her anger about maybe her marriage. Um, you know, this has gotten personal and, and she stood there and just railed on me for like five minutes. And, and then she said, if you feel like you've been called out, you have, and she sat down and I was so like unwilling to have any kind of conflict with her. I just pulled out my checkbook and I said, it's been about a half hour. Can I write you half a check or do you want to check for the whole session? Cause I'm leaving. And she said, I want to get paid for the whole session. And So I wrote her a check for $150 and set it on the little counter. And I walked out while she explained to me that I was making a big mistake and that I was, you know, she said, you can't be a little coward and run away from this stuff all your life. You're going to have to deal with these kinds of fights. And I just turned around in her doorway and, and I feel like I look back and I congratulate myself for being so brave. I just turned around and said, I think what I'm gonna do is just avoid people like you. (laughs) And I walked out.
0: Mic drop. (laughs) Literally total mic drop moment. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. See and yeah, now anyway. Not every experience with a therapist is gonna be quite as wow (laughs) unprofessional as that. But if you're uncomfortable.
1: She had had slipped out, you know. Yeah. Of of the calm role you know but i mean in her defense like i i was kind of an intense patient with a really intense no set, that is big not... set of intense
0: stories no 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 i'm cutting you off that is not an excuse
1: i'm not making an excuse i'm just trying to understand the situation oh, i you know okay. like i get it she's yeah Not, not professional. I got it for sure.
0: Not okay. (laughs) It's not okay for For therapists to do that. Like no matter what she's going through.
1: That's not ideal. You know. No, it's not okay. Um, No, no. But I mean, she didn't. She didn't hurt me. You know. She said those things, and I realized this does not feel safe anymore. Like I was already starting, and this is like a year into getting therapy. I was already starting to recognize that I had value. And that I was worth protecting, and that I needed to be the one to do that. And so, even though it was horrible at the time, and I was so upset with her, I also knew inside I need to leave and I need to take myself somewhere else. And when I found the next counselor I found, and the next couple I found were, were gentler, you know, I started to learn to look for the cues. You know, when, you, when I started out with, with the, the yelling therapist, I can look back and she wasn't really listening to me as much as she was jumping to telling me how, how it's going to be and how she's going to fix it. You know, where and then I moved to toward therapists who would listen to me and say, well, man, I, you know, that's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm ready to hear more and I don't know the answers and I liked that kind of therapist because then I could walk, then it felt like a, a partnership. Um, anyway, but that little fight over, over coming over to take care of the kids and stopping to get a sandwich was the catalyst, uh, the final straw for the marriage. And we ended up getting divorced after, like, like, uh, a week after that, we decided to get divorced. So, I mean, I want to refer back to, um, earlier you and I were talking about the, um, legend of Sisyphus, the, um was it a greek fella who um yes, you yes. know or in a greek legend he pushes this rock <laughs>
0: up the hill
1: yes and then it rolls back down and he pushes it up the hill again yeah so he's and being the, he's know, being punished
0: yes zeus is know, punishing are, him uh, and, yes. and his oh duty God. every day is to i forget what he did i'll i'll insert a blurb here everyone I think Sparknotes does a really great job at summarizing the whole myth of Sisyphus, so we're going to read straight from their web page, but if anybody wants to read this for themselves, they can click the link that we'll put in our bio below. Sisyphus is probably more famous for his punishment in the underworld than for what he did in his life. According to the Greek myth, Sisyphus is condemned to roll a rock up to the top of the mountain, only to have the rock roll back down to the bottom every time he reaches the top. The gods were wise, Camus suggests, in perceiving that an eternity of futile labor is a hideous punishment. There are a number of stories, ones which are not mutually exclusive, that explain how Sisyphus came to earn his punishment in the underworld. one story, Zeus carried off Aegina, a mortal woman who was the daughter of Aesipus. Sisyphus witnessed this kidnapping in his home city of Corinth. Sisyphus agreed to inform Aesipus as to who had kidnapped Aegina if Aesipus would give the citadel at Corinth the freshwater spring. In making this deal and bearing witness against Zeus, Sisyphus earned the wrath of the gods while earning earthly wealth and happiness for himself and his people. Another story tells how Sisyphus enchained the spirit of death so that during death's imprisonment, no human being died. Naturally, when the gods freed death, his first victim was Sisyphus. It also said that Sisyphus told his wife not to offer any of the traditional burial rites when he died. When he arrived in the underworld he complained to hades that his wife had not observed these rites, and was granted permission to return to the earth to chastise her once granted the second lease on life sisyphus refused to return to the underworld and lived to a ripe old age before returning to the underworld a second time of course his punishment is to endure an eternity of hopeless struggle. And welcome back. Uh, thanks, Allison, for looking that information up. Um, yeah, so uh, you'll uh, you'll know what I guess. said, but um, yeah, he he was being punished for whatever, and and. Um, that was his job every day was to roll that big-ass heavy ball up the hill. And here we are, yes, rolling our big-ass heavy ball up the hill.
1: Right, and counseling can feel that way. But, um, you know, as someone who has rolled some stones and big chunks of wood and other things up hills over and over again in real life, yeah, I can tell you that your fifth or sixth time of rolling that heavy load through that trail or whatever it is, you learn where the little spots are you learn a smarter way to get around it, you know, um, yeah. and there is, there is progress. It's, it, you know, life is not just a punishment from the gods. Life is a journey. And by me continuing to push that, that stone of telling someone else my stories and, and working out with that person, our interactions in that therapy situation, by continuing to push that stone up the hill, I began to make progress. I began to feel um, feel uh, not. Well, let's see, uh, what do I want to say? I started to hear myself say things that I was learning. I started to hear myself saying things that I didn't know before. I started to understand I'm worth protecting, and I didn't even see it happen, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: But I, um, but just doing the counseling. Gave me, gave me these tools and I'm so, I'm so glad that I did. Certainly I felt compelled to, I felt like my, I couldn't tolerate the the level of suffering that I was undergoing at home alone and I needed something and that kept me going, but I've been, you know, so pleasantly surprised by every little victory, every little moment of, Hey, now I can see you know that yes my dad did murder my mom and yes i'm justified in being angry at him for being shitty to me when i was growing up and and wait i have value and that shouldn't have happened to me like those are all realizations that i had to work for but they're so glorious when they happen when you get that little extra edge of wait a second now i now i understand myself better and and and, and i have um like i like me now I feel comfortable with me. I don't feel hopeful necessarily all the time about the world I live in. I don't know how to solve the problems. I, and I'm not, you know, I'm still struggling in, you know, relationships. But that struggle, keeping going in the struggle is how we make progress. And the progress really, it's really worth it. It really is. So like to, you know, the listener who wrote to me this morning, to tell me that I, and to anybody else, I, I just want to say, like, if you, if you feel inspired to you see maybe, wow, this kind of fits me too. I, I was afraid of, of, or, uh, of what happened or I haven't told anybody about it, but I feel like maybe I kind of want to, I want to encourage you, like, just keep pushing at that. You don't have to do it all at once. That rock's going to roll down the hill and you're going to have to start over anyway. So just be patient with yourself. Keep trying. And and there is there is growth. You're not a you're not a rock. You're a, you're a plant.
0: <laughs> and you just and, have to water yes. yourself.
1: And Ryan and I just watered my orchids, and it seems hopeless because like nothing happens for months and months. It's and okay. Months. And then now I've got six or seven buds on there, and it's the dumbest like ooh buds. I I don't oh know. My God, no, I'm so excited. I
0: I'm literally so excited. don't know who said this, but um, uh-huh. the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. I have no idea who said it, but yeah. that's what you're reminding me of. The day you plant the yeah. seed is not the day that you're going to eat that fruit. But put your ice mm. cube on your wood chip, wh- whatever dirt shit that yes. is.
1: Buy the potting mix, <laughs> grab a pot, <laughs> stick that seed in the ground, yes. and you'll be and and down the road you'll you'll, you'll, you'll reap a harvest. You'll yes. you'll get it. You know, yes. there's there's truth in there. Yes. Um, and and all, and again, all, I, I want to repeat. I invite anybody to reach out to us. Write to us on the podcast, to Frankly earnest podcast on Instagram, and write us. Um, you know, reach out if you, you know if you have questions or you want to share your inspirational story. Like that keeps me Please. going, knowing that uh, that people are listening mm-hmm. and getting something of value out of it. And I, I want to hear from you. Yeah. Next week, the week after, it's all coming, and um, and just you know, stick with us, keep coming, tell your friends,
0: tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandma.
1: That's right, and talk to your therapist.
0: And talk, talk to your therapist. What you're saying
1: to your therapist is, I do not feel good about how this session went. Share that therapists. feeling, identify that feeling, and and get to know you, have confidence in you, and um, and we'll see you next time. I love you all. Thank you.
0: Yay. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Frankly Earnest. You can now support the podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash franklyearnest slash support. Be sure to visit our Instagram for daily updates and posts for our links at frankly earnest Podcast. You don't want to miss out on Sam's TikTok at The Velvet Brick. See you next week.